embarrassing, embarrassing factoid. Not that you asked, but I'll, I'll share. Uh, somewhere, I think when I was in, in college, you know, I was walking through Target and I was like, oh, snap, like the Police Academy box set. This Runs Radio, episode 965, starts in three, two, Welcome back to Diz Runs Radio, where I talk with runners from all corners of the running world about running, life, and everything in between. I'm your host, Denny Cray, and it's just about time to head out the door for an easy run and a great conversation. So if you're ready, then I'm ready. Let's get started. Well, 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 we made it to uh, the end of another month, and that means it's uh, it's time. It's time for another episode of uh, Questions and Answers. You ask, I answer. Hopefully, there's a little bit of usefulness that falls out of my mouth today because uh, we're going to be here for a while. Saddle up, buckle up. Uh, hopefully, this is a long run for you, or you might uh, have to break this one up into a, a couple of parts because we got... A lot of questions. I lost track. I don't know, 25-ish, something? Uh, lots of questions going on today. Uh, some some serious ones, some fun ones, a little this, a little that. And uh, we're going to get to it. But uh, first of all, if you're new around here, this is something that we do every month. Just just kind of the, the general announcement when it comes to the Q&A episodes. We do this every month, the last Friday of each and every month. And uh, if you'd like to get some questions asked and answered... At some point in the future, the easiest way to do that is to uh, come join the uh, the carnival, the circus that is uh, the group over on Facebook, the, the Diz Runs Tribe. You can find it just by going to uh, dizruns.com slash Facebook. It'll automatically redirect you there. Or the next time you're you're on Facebook scrolling around, wasting wasting your life as much as I do when we start scrolling, uh, maybe maybe a little bit less wasteful would be to come over and join the group. Just search for uh, Diz Runs on uh, you know, just in Facebook itself. And, uh, there's a couple different groups, but just find the one that says the Diz Runs Tribe. It's, it's the, the group for everybody. Uh, and come on over and, and ask to, to, to join the party. We'll let you in. And, uh, you know, somewhere in the, in the middle of the month, usually uh, a week and a half before these episodes go out, I ask, what are your questions this month? And, uh, like I said, today, People didn't pull any punches. We got a bunch of questions. Hopefully, my voice will make it through. Hopefully, we'll make it through in less than two hours. No no guarantee on that. Although, I say that as I'm recording it. You, you're listening to it as it's already recorded. So, you know. Either we made it under the two-hour mark or we didn't. We'll see. But that's how many questions we've got today. So, uh, let's dive right in. First question comes from Lewis. Says, uh, Actually, first two questions. Serious question for the first one. What do you think of Gwyn Jorgensen leaving Bowerman? Seems awfully suspicious to me. Um, I don't think about Gwyn Jorgensen leaving Bowerman. I have literally no idea what happened there, Lewis, I, and nor do I have any desire. I don't know who Gwyn Jorgensen is, and nor do I have any desire to find out. So uh, I think everything... I, I, I need to choose my words carefully here. I think that from what, the little bit that I've, I've you know seen on social media over the years about Bowerman Track Club, everything about that organization seems shady AF. So... Not knowing any of the specifics, not knowing anything about Gwyn Jorgensen at all. But if you're saying that it seems awfully suspicious to me, I'm going to say, yeah, it's probably it's probably really suspicious. And I'm not going to waste any time. Any To me, it's a waste of time trying to dig into it. I don't care. Moving on. 
Uh, but uh, so sorry, sorry if that uh, lets you down a little bit. But I don't care at all about anything Barman Track Club related. Uh, next question, also from Lewis, smart Alec question: How are the book and those guitar lessons coming along? So uh, the book is not coming along as as per usual. Standard answer there. Uh, guitar lessons. I mean, not that I'm taking any guitar lessons, but I, I mess around with a little bit. And I've I've been playing playing on the guitar a little bit more recently, um, and, and it's nice to get back at it. And it, it's been nice to to feel like I didn't. Like I'm not starting from scratch, you know, uh, and, and maybe there's a running lesson in there as well. If you take a little bit of time off, like, yeah, it, it may take a little bit while to get back into it, but it may come back a little quicker than uh, you expect, which is kind of what happened after pretty much hardly picking up the guitar for two months. And now in the last couple few weeks, been dabbling a little bit more and uh, I don't feel like I lost too much. And, and maybe, maybe almost I'm a little bit better somehow. I don't know. I mean, I'm not good. I'm certainly not good. But it's uh, been, been fun getting back at it um, and, and haven't worked on any new songs or anything like that, but just kind of shoring up some of the, the songs I've done before, refreshing my memory after not playing them for a while um, and having fun with it. So, uh, so yeah, at least the guitar stuff is a little bit back on track. The book, uh, sadly, still nothing to report there. Uh, next question, getting the, the Tom trifecta getting in early. Instead of usually, usually Tom, Usually you sneak in like the day that I'm recording or the day before I record, you get your questions in. This time, I mean, out of the gate, the, the Tom Trifecta as questions, I guess, technically four, five, and, or three, four, and five, but I'm going to say two, three, and four since Lewis's questions were both under the same comment. But uh, here, here are the Tom Trifecta this month. Uh, how should my first run after a marathon feel, assuming I rested, assuming I rested for an appropriate amount of time. Well, Tom, that is uh, that is the million dollar assumption right there, my friend. Um, you know, when it when it comes to that first run, like honestly, and this is this is going to sound like a cop out answer, but it really is the truth. There is no should when it comes to how things go after after any marathon, whether it's your first marathon, which I know it was for you, whether it's your tenth marathon, twentieth marathon, like there is no should. Because every, every, you know, and again, I know it sounds, it sounds like a cop out. It, it might sound a little bit cliche, but it's always going to be different, right? Like the training, no two training cycles are ever the same. Even if you run in the same race course, you know, the same, the same exact event uh, on the same course, weather conditions are going to be different. How you're feeling is going to be different. How you're prepared is going to be different. So you may push harder. You may back off a little bit. It may, you may go beautifully. You may crash and burn. Like, like there is no should, um, but assuming that you did rest for an appropriate amount of time, and again, there's no uniform appropriate amount of time, which is why you're going to hear me talk about pain-free plus three again, why I, I like that formula, because pain-free is a variable. You know, So don't, t- don't come at me telling me that pain-free plus three is one size fits all, because it's not. Pain, pain-free, for some folks, depending on how training goes, depending on how you, how you raced, could be a day or two later, could, could be the next day, could be a week, could be two weeks, could take you a while. So, you know, whatever you're doing as far as, as waiting until the pain pretty much goes away, all the discomfort, muscles are feeling back to normal, you're able to sit and stand and go up and down stairs without any issues, then give it another couple days just to be safe. So assuming you did all that, the first run back, still probably going to feel a little awkward. Gonna, there's going to be a little bit of rust that you're going to have to scrape off, maybe a little bit of uh, oil, you know, oil can, you know, tin man type of syndrome where everything's going to feel a little bit stiff and, and the muscles are going to be a little bit heavy and the legs are going to feel a bit heavy, even though you recovered well and you took your time and you, you, you waited to get ready to run again. Um, it's just, you know, it's just part of the process. Um, it shouldn't hurt if, if it's hurting, if it's painful, you didn't wait long enough, you didn't recover well. Um, 
But if it, you know, if it feels a little stiff, a little heavy, yeah, that's probably normal. If it feels fantastic, if you feel like a million bucks, then you might say that you rested and recovered longer than necessary. Not that that's a bad thing. In fact, some might say that's a good thing. But, uh, you know, if, if that's the case, then, then congratulations. I don't know how many times I've ever felt like just like a million bucks on my first run after a marathon. Um, usually it's a little heavy, a little stiff, uh, but it kind of works itself through. You know, just like after a good speed workout, kind of that next run, everything's a little, little stiff, a little heavy, maybe a little bit soreness, but you kind of work through it. Kind of the same thing usually after a marathon, at least in my experience. But again, my experience is my experience. Um, some people feel great. Some people, not so much. Uh, it just kind of depends on how the race went, how your training went, and how your recovery went. So hopefully it's feeling good, Tom, or hopefully it did feel good um, after your your Buffalo Marathon debut. Next question from Tom. Is there a benefit to rolling your IT band? I have heard some folks do not recommend rolling the IT band while others do. So um, this is one of those areas where the, the science, the research has kind of evolved not kind of, has evolved over the last handful of years. Um, and so, you know, you get some folks that are that are set in their ways and they're not worried about new evolutions and how to do things. Uh, and then, of course, you get some folks that say, if you're doing it the old-fashioned way, which the old-fashioned way was like 10 years ago, but if you're doing it the old-fashioned way, you're an old fuddy-duddy and, and come on, you know, oh, wake up, let's, let's do it the right way. Um, honestly, like, it's not like there's a... a I don't know. Maybe there's a better and a best way. So when it comes to, to rolling your IT band, we'll just we'll just say that for benefit of of trying to be clear, you know, of clarity, simplicity. And then we'll get into the specifics here in a second. But when it comes to rolling the IT band, what you're trying to do is typically, you know, if the IT band, if it if it, if it is a little bit tight, is is how we would think of it. A little bit tight can pull on the knee, IT band syndrome, yada yada yada. Um, but what the, the, so, so that was, that was kind of why we would roll the IT band back in the day. And I mean, even when I was in college in my athletic training days, that was, yeah, roll on the IT band. It's not pleasant. It's not fun, but it helps help loosen, loosen up that IT band a little bit. Um, and, and take some of that pressure off your knee and you're good to go. The, the, the newer research, the, the newer findings, and the reason that there's the recommendation to not roll on the IT band itself is that the IT band is so thick. It's so dense that. It, it, it doesn't really ever loosen up. Like you can't stretch your IT band. Really, you can't. Um, rolling it doesn't really do any difference. Doesn't make any difference. Um, it's just uncomfortable for the sake of uncomfortable. I don't know that it really damages it. Some people might say, I don't think it does. But you're not getting yourself anywhere, in theory, rolling just on the IT band. Because again, what the new research is kind of saying is that where those adhesions occur that helps to make the, the IT band quote unquote tight, helps to bind it up, put some of that pressure on your knee, is that the, the area where the IT band overlaps your quad and your hamstring, your quad being the, the muscles on the front of your thigh, hamstrings, the muscles on the back of your thigh, where that, that IT band, which runs down the outside of your thigh, kind of where, where those, those areas meet. So, uh, you know, kind of hard to think of uh, specifically, but kind of like that 45 degree angle, kind of the outer edge where the front of your thigh meets the side of your thigh and then where the, the back of your thigh meets the side of your thigh. That's where some adhesions can and do occur. Nothing wrong with that. It's natural. Um, but, but that's where foam rolling can help to break up those adhesions and allow that IT band to move freely over the tops of those muscles. So when you roll your IT band specifically, because of the, the width of the foam roller, 
and the the relative narrowness or relative small width of your IT band, you're probably getting a lot of the those adhesions that are along that edge on both the, the front of your thigh and the back of your thigh. But if you want to actually aim for where the problems probably are, you're better off rolling that area directly. So kind of getting on that 45 degree spot between the front of your thigh and the side of your thigh and rolling there on, on that, that junction between the quad and the IT band. It's not going to be pleasant. It's going to light you up, but you're going to break up some adhesions and then doing the same thing where the IT band and the hamstring kind of meet on the, the back edge, if you will, the back 45 degrees between the outside of your thigh and the back of your thigh. Um, so that's, that's kind of how I've shifted my focus when I get on the foam roller, which let's not kid ourselves, not very frequently, but I don't really roll the IT band anymore. I get the, that, that edge, that, that, that junction, if you will, between the quad and the IT band, the hamstring and the IT band. Um, and you know, whether, whether or not it's, it, that's made all the difference. I've had really no IT band issues in a long time. So take it for what it's worth, but that's, that's kind of the, where the argument comes or where the, the, the newer research is pointing that rolling the IT band really doesn't do anything. It's that junction area and you're better off focusing your attention there than right on the IT band itself. So hope all that made sense for you, Tom. One of those, that's a little bit tough without a visual, uh, but hopefully I tried to explain it clearly enough that it's helpful. Last of the Tom trifecta this month. What is the best snack food to get at Disney World? One size fits all answer, please. Oh, Tom, I mean, this is an impossible one. This is an impossible one because it, it, it depends on, are we talking Disney World, just the parks? Are we talking Disney World hotels included? Are we talking Disney World, downtown Disney, everything Disney related? Um, if so, I don't, I, I mean, I, I don't very often go to, I guess I called it downtown Disney. It's not even it's like Disney Springs or whatever the heck they're calling it these days. I don't go there very often. I know there's a lot of restaurants and snacky places and people, things that people rave about. I don't know. I, I, I don't ask me. I, I don't know what's there. Um, so I'm going to, and, and when it comes to staying at resorts, again, not something we do very often. We do it every, uh, you know, we did it for our anniversary. We did it for Addie's birthday. Um, but we, 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 we don't stay there often cause we live close enough that I'd rather I'm cheap. So I'd rather not pay for a hotel when I can just drive for 40 minutes to get there. Um, so I, I don't know what all of the resorts have and, and being able to compare and contrast. So I'll go with just Disney world park, best snack option, best snack food. Um, that's not some fancy themed food and wine or flower and garden creation or, or whatever, kind of the standard things that you can get anytime you go to any park. And I mean, it's boring, but I guess it's good. And it's like the, the, the Disney, the, the Mickey mouse ice cream bar, right? Like the, the ice cream, the, the fake vanilla ice cream dipped in chocolate, or maybe, maybe my favorite actually would be the ice cream sandwich one still fake ice cream, but you know, a little bit more. I guess it feels like a little more of a splurge with the with the the the, the fake Oreo ice cream sandwich situation, um, but I don't know. I mean, there's not honestly, there's not that many good snack things at Disney World anymore. Like I know the, some of you guys are going to be screaming at me. The Dole Whips, please sit down. The Dole Whips used to be awesome. The formula, the recipe that they use, the ice cream sucks now. It's not good, um, and the lines are ridiculous. Back in the day, <laughs> back when, when Rebecca and I were first, I guess probably first married, we used to go and there was never, like if there was a line to get the Dole Whip, it was literally a line of one person. You were second in line. 
never a line. Now it's like it's like a 20-minute wait to get a freaking not good ice cream situation. Um, so, yeah, when they changed that, not good. The other, the other treat that used to be awesome, and it's probably nothing more than like a funnel cake. Like you could probably just get a funnel cake and it'd be the same thing. But you old school folks may remember the beaver tail stand outside of Epcot, which was like a fried dough. Like I said, basically a funnel cake, but just a fried, a fried dough and then different types of toppings. The apple cinnamon with the whipped cream, legit. Um, but they don't have that anymore either. So now all they have is just, just I mean, churros are fine. The ice, Like whatever. The, the snack game at Disney World leaves a lot to be desired as far as I'm concerned. Um, but your mileage may vary. So there's that. Uh, but I guess, you know, gun to my head, if I had to pick, if I'm going to have a snack that's not something fancy food and wine situation, I mean, I guess Mickey ice cream sandwich. Boring, but all the snacks there are meh at best these days. But thanks for the questions, Tom, as per usual. Uh, Melody, chiming in. Have you ever been a pacer? If yes, when? Uh, where? When? What was it like? If no, do you want to or would you ever? Uh, yes, I've been a pacer a couple times uh, in, in very different circumstances. So I, the, the first time that I paced, I think, I didn't go back and fact check me, so maybe I got these backwards, but I don't, I don't think so. I think I got this right. The first time I paced was several years ago. Um, I, I paced uh, Bill Culver, who was on the show, I think, twice. Um, or he was on he was on the show once as a guest and then was on the show the second time. He interviewed me, I think, in episode 300. Um, but uh, he, he was running his first 50-miler, the, 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 the Daytona uh, 50. In a, it was a 100-mile and a 50-mile. He ran the 50-mile. Um, he lives local. He lives over to, close towards Orlando. I've run into him at, at a couple Disney races un, unplanned. Um, but uh, he was he was running the 50, and I volunteered to pace him. And so uh, I think I ran like the last 16 or 18 miles, something like that with him. I can't remember exactly how it, how it shook out. Um, but that was that was fun. You know, a, a, a kind of my first taste of an ultra uh, as far as it actually being an ultra. Uh, obviously, I didn't run the whole thing. But uh, my first taste of that type of situation with aid stations and just kind of random, you know, here and there and everywhere. Uh, I think that was probably Addison was born. So it was in the last at least seven years. Is December, maybe December of... I don't know, 2014, 2015, something like that. Um, so that was one experience, you know, learned a lot, definitely, uh, enjoyed it. Uh, and then my, my other time doing a pacer, you know, doing pacing was for the local, uh, half marathon. Uh, that's no longer a half marathon. It's a 15 K now, but, but, and again, this was a handful of years ago, maybe, uh, I don't know exactly the year 20. I could, I could have found it 2017, 2018, something like that. Um, but I, I think I was the 215 pacer, Maybe the two thirty, either two fifteen or two thirty, uh, pacer for the half marathon group, um, where where obviously running the whole thing, carrying the flag, uh, and that one was a little bit, I don't know, it was it was fine, uh, but definitely learned a few things in that one we're, because it was we, we, there was two of us that were assigned to each pace group, um, which I guess is probably standard. That way you've got um, at least somewhat standard. Because that way, if somebody's having an off day, you have somebody else that can carry the, carry the burden, whatever. Um, but I, I went into it kind of, I guess, you know, wanting to to just make it a team effort, whatever. And we got behind on the pacing a little bit, and and um, I, I don't mean to blame, but it was like my partner was was struggling a little bit more, and so we're kind of going. I'm trying to encourage her while also, you know, the the, the one or two people that were running with us, and we're we're trying to keep on keeping on. And I'm looking at my watch. 
and at about mile eight or nine, I was like, we are, we are behind. Like we're not like way, way behind. We were, we didn't get caught by the next pace group or anything like that, but we, we were behind where we needed to be and we were fading. So I took the flag and it was just like, I'm going, you know, and, and we met it up, you know, crossing the line 20 seconds earlier, which is like perfect. It was right, right about where you want to be. Um, but I definitely ran the last few miles a lot faster than I should have to get to the pacing line. Um, so I would definitely do it again. And if doing it again and with similar situation with a partner, um, you know, I would make sure that, that we weren't falling behind early. Uh, maybe be a little bit, not, try not to be that guy, but at the same time, also not letting us fall behind and then have to run, you know, two minutes faster per mile over the last three or four miles to get the mark. Right. Cause that's, that's not what you really want out of your pacer. Um, I also have my next pacing opportunity coming up in just a couple weeks in uh, North Georgia, running something like 40 miles, hiking something like 40 miles through the Georgia mountains on uh, August 14th and 15th or 13th and 14th. So stay tuned venture to come. Uh, so yes, I guess that answers the following question. Would I do it again? Ab? Yeah, I'm, I'm on the hook a few weeks from now. Stay tuned. Uh, next question from, uh, the other half of the, uh, the, 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 the lesser half of Melody's lesser half, Mr. Short. Um, did you learn anything or get anything useful out of your gate analysis? Yeah, definitely. Uh, one thing that, that I, I got out of it or one, one takeaway for sure was that maybe my form isn't as bad as I thought it was. You know, like, like I kind of like when you see pictures of your, of yourself running, especially still shots, it's just like, Oh, do I really look like that? At least for me. And maybe it's just me. I don't know, but that's kind of the usual thought that I have and getting the, getting the, the, you know, when I had the gate analysis done and I was talking with, um, Daniel about it and he's show like, he's drawing lines on the screen and like, look at this and, and here's this thing. And it's like, Oh, like it's like my lean, you know, there's, there's things that could be better of course, but it wasn't bad. Um, and then things that I, that I learned the biggest one or the biggest change that I've been trying to, to make since then is that I was running with my feet pretty close together. And I kind of, I guess I didn't realize it, but I kind of clipped my, my heel across my, my ankle semi-regularly. Um, and so he's like, he like, he's drawing the line. He's like, see how you're basically almost like I'm kind of tight roping. Like I'm not exactly, but, but kind of tight rope walking when I'm running or, you know, whatever. So my feet keep going to the midline. And so, you know, that was one of his suggestions was like, try to get your feet out, like not super wide, but just get them so that they're not overlapping every stride and see how that goes. So that's been something I've been working on. I think I'm getting better at it, but it's probably one of those I need to, whether I do another proper analysis or not, you know, take the, take the, the, uh, the, the phone and the tripod down to the gym, uh, get on the treadmill, get some video and see if I can notice my feet being a little bit wider apart again. Um, because I feel like they are, but feel like they are maybe doesn't, you know, mean that they are so definitely useful. Uh, and, and again, the biggest thing for me was just that like, all right, like I've got some things I can work, some tweaks I can make, but overall not too bad which was, which was nice little, uh, peace of mind, if nothing else. So thanks for the question, Chris. Uh, next one from, uh, from Fargo itself. Here's Lesterberg's question. And what a, a, a serious question this month. Appreciate those. Uh, at what point is it a bad idea to run when dealing with smoke from forest fires? So, um, a serious question, but not a fun question. You know, a, a, a fun, a serious fun question always is appreciated, uh, or is always preferred, I guess. Uh, but you know, when it comes to, to air quality issues, you know, smoke from forest fires, things like that. I mean, like, I'm not, I'm not going to tell you what to do, 
or what you're not to do. Uh, but I definitely feel like you don't want to mess your lungs up, right? Like as, as runners, that's like just as people, like we want to be healthy. That's part of why we run. Um, and if you're going to be out there running and breathing in a bunch of, of smoke that, uh, it's probably not going to be good for you. So, you know, I, I don't, I don't know what the numbers are like, not something that I thankfully pay attention to have to pay attention to very often down here. Um, but if the air quality index ratings and recommendations are to not be outside and not run, then I feel like that point is a bad idea to be outside and run it. Um, you know, maybe suck it up buttercup and get in on the, the treadmill, especially if it's going to be something that's going to last for a while. Uh, if it's just going to be a day and hopefully the wind's going to shift and it's going to, it's going to dissipate a little bit more or whatever, then, you know, unplanned day off, not the worst thing in the world. Um, not worst thing in the world, maybe having your lungs all jacked up and you say you can't breathe and having all kinds of issues because you tried to get your 15 miler in when the air quality was, was piss poor. So, um, you know, again, I, I'm no expert on air quality index It's not something I pay much attention to, but if it's bad enough that, that they're recommended not to run, probably don't run because your lungs kind of want them to stay healthy. So good luck to you, John. Hope the, uh, the weather clears up ASAP or the air clears up ASAP. Um, next qu- couple of questions from Michaela. How do you build excitement back for a race you are no longer excited about? Oh yeah, that sucks. You know, when, when, when it's time to put the credit card down and, and hit that button and register for a race and you're fired up and you're excited for it. And maybe it's, you know, six months, eight months, a year away. And then life happens in between and you know, you start getting closer to the race and, uh, you start to think, well, damn, I need to, to get serious about training for this thing, but I don't really want to. How do you, how do you flip that switch back? Um, I, I think that, and again, this is obviously one of those where you got to, you got to figure out what works best for you, Michaela. Um, and, and really kind of dial into to your personality, the things that are going to motivate you, the things that are going to get you excited. But just in general, I feel like, you know, figuring out maybe a new goal, something that you want to accomplish in this race, that could be something totally out, out of left field, but, but figuring out a new goal, new, new ambition that does bring some excitement, bring some fun, bring some joy to your life, uh, would be, you know, first priority. So maybe it's something, and again, I mean, it doesn't have to like, especially if your goal was maybe to, to try to race it to begin with, you're planning on, uh, you know, going for a PR or, or whatever. And now you're just like, ugh, yeah, no, for one reason or another, it's not going to happen. So what can you do to make it exciting? Well, maybe you could, you could have something fun, like a photo scavenger hunt. So, you know, have, have a few people come up with different suggestions and obviously it's going to depend on maybe where your race is. So finding some things that you don't want to find, you don't want to be looking for things that are just absolutely impossible to find on the, on the race route, but you know, certain signs or certain runners in costume or a bridge or, you know, whatever, some, some things that you're likely to find on the route and then, you know, get that photo scavenger hunt. So you're, you're, you're running and you, instead of worrying about miles and pace and things like that, you're like, all right, where am I going to find, you know, a dude with a, with a tutu on, um, that's, that's running the race or, um, uh, uh, the, 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 whatever, one of the, the, the boring signs that are at every race, um, you know, something like it, it whatever, this seemed like a good idea when I signed up or what, you know, whatever, some of those, those kind of lame signs that you just see all the time. Uh, but whatever, you know, figuring out those types of things, maybe you want to do uh, a certain selfie type of situation as far as, you know, selfies with 
X, Y, Z, the best sign, the worst sign, um, you know, whatever. Again, you got to be creative. You got to, you got to probably think outside the box, maybe crowdsource some of these things, uh, but doing those types of things, maybe recruiting a couple friends. If, if you, um, you know, can talk somebody else into signing up with you, uh, or maybe get on, you know, various Facebook groups and find some people that like, Hey, like, I'm not really looking about pushing. I just want to have some fun, uh, share some laughs, tell some stories and then just make it, you know, a long run with friends or with strangers that are becoming friends. And again, you're not worried about the time, the pace, whatever, any of those types of things. So that's, that's to me, how would, how I would at least go about trying it is try to figure out an angle to make the race exciting again. That's, that's has nothing to do with time. Um, because if I know that my original goal wasn't going to happen, then just, you know, dial that back. Well, that's just kind of sucks. It just kind of reminds me that I'm not where I wanted to be. Uh, so take it, take that totally off the table and try to have fun with it. Um, may or may not work, but that would be the first step I think to try to, to, to make it exciting again. Um, when it's kind of lost its luster from the time you signed up, uh, next question from Michaela, how are fart looks different from just running random intervals? Well, they're, they're not <laughs> quite frankly. Um, because that's, that's pretty much exactly what fart looks are. Although I get, I get what your question is and I'll, I'll get to it. Um, but, but fart looks, one of those words that people hear, but don't always necessarily understand what it is or know what it is. Um, basically it's a, it's a type of, of workout where you just kind of do random intervals. Some are long, some are short, real hard, you know, harder, but not like balls to the walls. Like it's, it all is kind of all over the place. Sometimes it's an up a hill. Sometimes it's down a hill, like, but it's just, it's just random. Whereas most people, when they do uh, an interval workout, tends to be something more uniform. So maybe it's it's quarter mile on, quarter mile off, or half mile on, half mile off. Maybe it's two minutes on, two minutes off. Um, sometimes you might get a little bit crazy and do a ladder. So it might be a one minute, two minute, three minute, four minute, two minute, you know, three minute, two minute, one minute type of situation. But usually there's a bit of uniformity, a bit of pattern to most of your standard type of interval slash repeat workouts. When it comes to fartlek, there's no rhyme or reason. Um, and, and the, the, the fartlek workout that, uh, the group that I used to run with, with, with the pack, what we used to do, we had like a set route, which I think it kind of isn't exactly a fartlek situation. I think for me, I like a fartlek where it's just like, I'm just making it up as I go. Um, but our route was all random. Like the first one was like 0.56 miles. And then the next one was like 0.12. And then the next one was like, uh, you know, 0.27 it was just all over the place. And like I said, it was uphills and it was downhills and it was around a corner and it was to the end of the street. And it was to the stop. Like we had all these landmarks, but they were just, they were just willy nilly. Um, and, and that's what made it fun because sometimes you're going really hard and then you'd have a little bit longer recovery. Sometimes it was kind of like, you know, the longer intervals. So you were, you were pushing, you know, certainly 5k pace or faster, but it wasn't all out sprint because you had to go for three quarters of a mile or whatever we had being 0.78 or something like that. Um, and then we'd recover a little bit and do it again. You know, it was just like all over the place. But those were, to me, those are fun. To some runners, more you more type A folks, not fun. So, you know, lean into lean into the, the randomness of it. But if it doesn't work for you, if you like to have hard and fast rules of this is when I, you know, I'm going to run with my watch beeps and I'm going to, you know, walk slash jog with my watch beeps to recover, then fartlex might not be the the best thing for you to do. And that's okay, you know multiple, multiple ways to, uh, to get it done in the sport of running. But thank you for the questions, Michaela. I hope you, uh, can come up with some ways to add some excitement back to your race or, you know, 
maybe we can talk about some ways uh, and, and get some things figured out as well. Next question from Rob. Any benefit to heart rate training in terms of heat training? The hotter it is, the higher my heart rate. Could exposure to heat and sauna atmosphere be beneficial for my body to handle the increased, bo- um, increased body and atmosphere temperatures? Or is it only beneficial to train in the heat? Is the added heat stress beneficial or detrimental to overall heart rate improvement? Thanks. So, Rob, you're, you're, um, I totally get what you're asking. But basically, there's really no benefit in terms of heart rate training to training in the heat or doing any type of heat training as well. Because ultimately what happens like to your body, stress is stress, right? And so the added stress of the heat is going to impact your body when you're running. And so as such, your heart rate's going to go up because your body's trying to cool itself. That's priority number one. Uh, don't let your body temperature cook yourself from the inside. So your body starts to send more blood to the surface for perspiration to, to help you sweat, to help you cool yourself, which means there's less blood, less oxygen getting to your muscles, which means your, your heart rate's inching up even faster because we want more blood going to the muscles, but also we need blood going to the surface. Also we're generating body heat now. So we, we got more heat going on. So it's like your body's like working hard when you're running in the heat. And you know, when it comes to like spending time in the sauna, trying to get your body used to, to the, the heat as well, like it's not going it, to like, it's, it's, it can be helpful, especially if you're racing in the heat to, to be able to do it, to help your body be more efficient in how it's going to, and how, how it operates in the heat, but it's not really going to make your heart rate any lower. Like you're just, you're just going to spend more time with your heart rate getting above the, the levels that you want it to be and having to walk to bring it back down. Um, as far as I know now, now I'm not going to claim to be the, the, the expert physiologist here. Um, and maybe it's cause I live in Florida and it's just like, heat's just going to be a thing that I'm going to deal with for eight months or nine months or 10 months a year. Um, but I don't, I don't think it's going to help you in terms of, being an added benefit to your heart rate improvement. Like your heart rate, you, you know, you, if you're training aerobically, you're going to continue to get stronger, you're going to continue to get fitter. But as long as it's still hot out, you're still going to be running slower than you would be in cooler temperatures where the heat stress isn't as much of a factor. So I, I don't know if that makes sense, but, but honestly, like I don't see much benefit to really doing heat training to try to get more heart rate benefits. Cause I don't think it's really going to happen. So, um, that said, I mean, try it, play with it, do it safely, do it intelligently, of course. Uh, and if you've got a, a hot race coming up, you know, trying to avoid all running in the heat is, isn't a bad thing necessarily. You know, I know plenty of folks coach a few of them that have treadmills and, and they use them as much in the summer as in the winter, because it's just, it's too hot and they, it sucks. So you're on the treadmill, like you're getting your miles in. That's great. Um, but you know, then, then when you have a race and it's hot out, well, then you're, you're kind of at a little bit of a, whether it's a mental disadvantage or even a physical disadvantage, like it's a struggle. But at the same time, if training in the heat is miserable to you, then like, that's not worth it. Like we want runs to be fun. So, you know, maybe get out for some runs in the heat, but I wouldn't, I wouldn't rest on the idea that like, oh yeah, I'm going to be so much more fit. My heart rate progress is going to be so much more because it like, nah, it's just part, it's just one of those extra variables. One of those things that, that you can't control you do your best to stay within your heart rate zones. And then when, uh, when the temperature finally cools down, you're like, well, damn, how did I get so fast? Oh, it's not 90 degrees and 90% humidity anymore. That's how I got so fast. Um, so good luck. Stay the course, keep on keeping on and, uh, come fall. You'll be, you'll be glad you got your miles in, in the, in the summer. That is for sure. Uh, next block of questions from Ryan. I think this might be, this might be Ryan's first 
first time chime in. I don't know. Maybe not. It, it, it's been around for a while. So maybe, maybe he's gotten in for in a while, but don't remember too many questions from Ryan lately. He's making up for it this time with four, four in a row. First one shoe of choice. As of now, I'm in a wide variety and want to try something new. Um, have, I have some Nikes, but nothing, uh, but something different brand wise. Uh, basically I guess asking for a shoe recommendation. Uh, I'm, I'm using, I, I just got like a week ago, got a pair of the, uh, the ultra, uh, new Torrens, ultra Torrens five, I think. Um, all right. All right. I, I, you know, like I got them to review. So that's, that's always nice is to get, get a free pair of shoes that you get to, to use and, and run in and then ultimately keep after I write my review. So that's, that's exciting. Um, I don't love them, but they're not bad. Like they're definitely not one of those pairs of shoes that like, once I get done with my review, they're going to go in the closet and never come out again. Like they'll stay in their rotation for another 800 to 900 miles, something like that. Um, and then hopefully by then I'll get another pair of shoes to review and I'll be, you know, the, the, the circle of life will continue. Um, if, if I don't get another pair of shoes to review and these ones wear out, am I going to go out and buy a pair? Eh, probably not. Um, but they're fine. I mean, they're fine. They're, they're, they're fine. They're all right. Um, but sorry, I can't really help you with, with any suggestions because I, I mean, that's, that's what I use. That's what I've been using for years is ultras. I'm open to trying some other stuff, but it's gotta be zero drop. It's gotta be foot shaped toe boxes. There's not a whole lot of options out there. Um, so I kind of just stick with the ultras and eh, as far as I'm concerned, they've kind of, they, they've lost a little something the last few years. Um, but they're still, they're still good. They're still the best thing that I've used. Like, at least my favorite thing that I've used. So you can try them if you want. I don't know how they'd relate to the Hoka's and the, and the, the, uh, um, Brooks that you've been using Ryan, but you know, get to, get to the running shop, try them on, see what you think. Um, and maybe, maybe you like them. I don't know. They're, they're fine. Yeah. They're, they're, yeah, that's, that's how I feel about them. So you, you take, take what you want out of that answer. Uh, next question, arm sleeves. I've seen where some say to wear white or light colored ones is better uh, than sunblock, which makes you sweat a lot. Is there anything to this? So, um, yes, ish. There are arm sleeves out there that you can get that are, that are UV protectant that are definitely every bit, if not better than sunblock because you don't sweat it off. Um, it's not all sticky. You don't have to reapply yada, yada, yada. Uh, they're still sweat wicking. So that's helpful. Um, you know, as far as colors, yeah, you know, getting something white or light colored, it's going to reflect the light a little bit more. It's going to not, not trap as much heat. The big thing, if you decide to go this route is to make sure you're getting ones that not just any old arm sleeve, right? Like, it's not like just, oh, let's get some white arm sleeves and that'll be, that'll be better than sunblock. Like, nah, I mean, it might help, but nah. you want to get ones that are actually rated UV protective. Um, they're not exactly cheap, but at the same time, like for me, at least I'd rather wear something like that than slather up with a bunch of, of sunblock. So I actually got, um, like a long sleeve dry fit type of something. It's from a, a triathlon company. Um, but it obviously works for running as well, where it's less, like this, this, it's, and I got a white one too. So I guess, so I, I guess maybe there's something to that idea of it, of it not get, being as hot. Um, but it's a white UV protective shirt that I can wear running cycling. I, I mostly wear it for like doing yard work around the house. Um, but that way it keeps it, you know, it's, it's, it's UV protective. It's, it's good quality stuff. Um, and it actually like, I don't feel like I'm that hot when I'm wearing it. Like, I mean, it's 90 degrees outside. I'm in the sun, so it's warm. Right. But like, I don't feel like I'm, I'm cooking in it. Um, so if it, you know, it wasn't cheap. I think it was like 90 bucks for the long sleeve shirt. Um, but they have, they have arm sleeves. They have things like that. They have short sleeves stuff available as well. Uh, so if you want to, you know, I don't remember the exact company offhand, but if you're, if you Ryan or anybody interested in, in those types of products, uh, let me know. Uh, I think I, 
think you can find it on Amazon, but I think I ended up ordering it straight from the company. I can't remember. Um, but yeah, I mean, something like that can be worth it. Um, especially, you know, if you want to stay away from suntan lotion and or sunblock, things like that, that, uh, you know, you sweat it off or you have to reapply, yada, 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 just, you know, wear it and be good all day. So, uh, but yeah, you know, as long as it's UV protective, if it's not, you might have some benefit, but probably not as much as certainly not as much as, as some sunblock. So something to think about, uh, for fun question, favorite childhood movie that just isn't that good to watch as an adult. My choice is Goonies favorite movie growing up. And now it's just not watchable. Um, I still like the Goonies, Ryan. I'm not going to lie. Um, for me, I, I kind of had to rack my brain about this and I don't know that this is like the actual final answer. Cause I didn't want to spend too much time thinking about it. Um, but I would go with like some of the police Academy movies. Now th- there were some police Academy movies, specifically police Academy Four, police Academy six, but, but definitely police Academy four that were unwatchable when they first came out. Just terrible. Um, but I really liked police Academy five assignment, Miami beach I really liked police Academy three, the new class. Um, but they're not good anymore. Like they're just not, you know, like they, they were, they were bad, but they were so, so bad. They were good when I was a kid, I guess I, I watched, I watched police Academy five so many times. Um, now they're tough to watch. Now they're tough to watch. So I, I think that those would be my answers. Uh, embarrassing, embarrassing factoid. Not that you asked, but I'll, I'll share. Uh, somewhere, I think I was in, in college, you know, I was walking through Target and I was like, oh, snap, like the Police Academy box set DVDs, you know, on sale for like 40 bucks or something like that. And like, I hadn't probably watched the Police Academy movies in, in 10 years since then at that point. Um, so I got it. Went back to the dorm, like had a couple beers. Like, let's like, oh, these movies are terrible. And so I, I, I still have the six set police Academy box set DVDs in the old uh, DVD cabinet. They're bad. They're even, even police Academy five assignment, Miami beach, still bad. So I guess that's my answer. I guess that's my answer. Thanks for bringing up that unpleasant memory, my friend. Uh, last question from Ryan Dexa scan. Have you had one? Know anyone that has benefits worth it? Um, I haven't gotten one, so I guess, I, I guess that means I don't know that it's super beneficial, but I would say that, that the benefit, so in case you're not familiar with DEXA scan, it's like a whole body scan that is really good at, at measuring or, or assessing your bone density, bone strength also can be good to help really lock in lean body mass, body fat percentage, things like that. Um, as far as, as short term benefits, I can't really think of any, especially for us as, as runners. Um, but where I would say that maybe it would be worth doing if you have access to it, it's not too cost prohibitive. Maybe you could squeeze it in with the physical things like that would be over time, like kind of a longitudinal, longitudinal collection of data that like can kind of show your hopefully being able to maintain bone density, bone strength as we get older and maybe because we're runners, um, but I think it would be, I, for me personally, I think it would be an interesting thing to have, you know, maybe every five years or every three years or something like that, maybe every year, but that might be a little bit too much. Again, depending on, on if you're paying out of pocket, things like that. But, you know, starting like I'll be 40 in January. So like, like not that I have any plans on getting it, but I could see it'd be interesting to like get one at 40, another one at 45, 50, 55, so on and so forth. So when I'm in my sixties, when I'm in my seventies, like you can really kind of judge 
you know, as far as is the bone health falling off, osteoporosis, things like that. Are we still strong as an ox? Like it, it could be a, a, an interesting thing to kind of monitor and keep track of over time. Um, I was talking to, to Kate about this on one of our runs one time. Um, as far as for, for women as well, you know, especially with, with osteoporosis, things like how, how the body changes after menopause, certainly with, with, you know, kids and how that can impact bone health over the, you know, in a big picture. Uh, and that could be something that would be kind of, again, maybe not cool, but interesting, maybe helpful down the road to be able to, to, to see maybe early onset osteoporosis, things like that, especially if it's something that maybe you're more susceptible or whatever, blah, 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 blah. Um, but that could be, it could be a useful data point to have over time, but you know, as far as like, should I go get one today to help me prepare for, to help me somehow for my fall race or my spring race? Like, eh, not really, not really. But data point definitely could be worth it. Definitely could be worth it if you're so inclined, right? So great questions, my friend. Uh, hope things are well in Kansas and uh, thanks for uh, for chiming in this month. Uh, Heather, next couple questions or next one question from Heather. Uh, what are the benefits slash risks of caffeine during a long run or race? What kind of dose is recommended in comparison to a normal daily dose? So, um, you know, benefits, risks, like it's pretty, I would say caffeine, pretty mundane. Uh, it's obviously a stimulant. So from a stimulant factor, I mean, it can give you a little boost, a little, little, little shot of, of extra energy, extra, extra endurance, especially on a long run or on a, on a race day situation. Um, I know it used to be, and maybe it still is in certain quantities, although it's kind of one of those hard to get to the, the, the unallowable dosage, but it used to be a banned substance on like, you know, IOC, Olympics, world competitions, national competitions, things like that. Um, because it's, it's a stimulant because it's going to help give you that little extra boost. Again, like you kind of got to get a lot to really be like a super competitive advantage. I almost feel like a lot of times that the caffeine during a run, during a race, it's, it's maybe as much like psychological placebo. I, I don't think it's placebo because it definitely is going to have an impact, but you know, as far as benefits, like, eh, it's a little extra boost. So it's, it's not nothing. It's not going to be a game changer. It's not going to make up for lack of training, pacing control, things like that. Uh, the risks, I think the biggest risk would be that it's a stimulant. And so it could stimulate uh, your colon just as much as it could stimulate your legs to get moving. Uh, so that's, that's where I feel like when it comes to, should I show shouldn't I caffeine wise, it really comes down to how sensitive is your stomach to caffeine? How sensitive is your GI system to caffeine? Um, and probably, you know, pr- one of those things, just like anything nutrition related wise, where you want to practice it a little bit in a semi-controlled environment, practice it when you're going to be in a, at a run where, you know, you're going to have access to, to bathrooms just in case, just in case, you know, that way you're not taking a couple of pit stops mid race or, you know, out on the trail, uh, you're trying to get behind a, a bush somewhere to, because, uh, your, your colon's all stimulated and your GI system's not happy because you took a, a, a caffeine gel. Right. Um, as far as dose recommended, like, I, I don't know all the milligrams and things like that, but you know, I mean, it's, it's not like you're going to take a shot of it. So I guess it's kind of like an espresso shot, except it's going to be a gel shot or something like that. Um, but you know, you know, whatever, if you're taking some, some caffeine gum or some caffeine drinks or whatever, like it's going to be like, like to really have a big impact, you're going to have to take so much that like, you're not going to take that much really. So, um, play with it. If it works for you, great. If it causes some uh, GI issues, then uh, maybe steer away or, or if you, again, you know, things that you know about yourself, you know, it could cause some, some heart palpitations, right? If, if, if running while taking in caffeine causes those type of issues, again, something to know, try out. And if it doesn't, if if those types of things happen to you, then probably safe to say not worth 
rolling the dice with heart palpitations again on, on race day or things like that. So try it out, see how it goes for you. Um, but it's not like it's going to be a game changer if you do or don't take caffeine um, during a run. You know, just it's just not. Uh, but thank you for the question, Heather. Uh, next question comes from Sherry. She asks, are you familiar with the 80-20 running recommended by Matt Fitzgerald? It's heart rate training, but different than MAF 180. And Fitzgerald doesn't advocate a high-fat, low-carb diet. Do you consider MAF 180 better? And if so, why? Um, and then kind of just some some stuff for context. But, but uh, you know, like, this is one of those where you're, you're splitting. I feel like you're splitting hairs. Um, not you specifically, Sherry. But, like, like do you... Do, I guess I prefer math 180 because I've been doing that for three and a half years now. Uh, no plans on stopping versus when I did 80, 20, I maybe did it for a year, year and a half, something like that. Um, that doesn't mean that it's universally better or not. Like I just like, and, and maybe if I had done math 180, Maffetone style training back in whatever it was, 2016, um, and then kind of gotten away from it and then follow, follow, fallen back into 80, 20, uh, you know, a year and a half later, maybe, maybe I'd be, you know, all on the 80, 20 bandwagon and kind of like, yeah, you know, whatever with the math stuff. Um, so I, you know, I don't know, like, like to me, good training principles are good training principles. And the idea of with both of those styles is that you run easy most of the time, right? Uh, that's the key run easy most of the time, whether it's 80%, 90%, 95%, 74%, like run easy most of the time. When you go hard, go hard. Whether it's on race day, whether it's in a couple workouts here and there, I think with with the eighty twenty thing, and, and I, when I when I interviewed Brad Kearns, who's one of the um, primal endurance guys, um, and a big you know kind of math one eighty kind of, kind of guy as well, uh, his his pushback on eighty twenty is that you know sometimes when you're doing eighty twenty, you feel like well well shit like it's 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 at my twenty like I have to go hard today and your body's not feeling it so you shouldn't, which I think is logical. So, you know, if, if you get caught up and I guess maybe that's why I like math 180, cause it's, it's so simple. There's so much more room for, well, am I in zone one or zone two? It doesn't matter. You know, for 80, 20, you get, like the different zones, you want to be in zone one or zone two most of the time. Okay. Well, who cares if you're in zone one or zone two, it doesn't matter as far as I'm concerned. Now you might want to split hairs a little bit. And while zone one is, is more recovery and zone two is like, whatever, you're becoming more aerobically efficient in either zone one or zone two. With MAF 180, you're becoming more aerobically efficient, building your aerobic base if you're below whatever your MAF heart rate is, 180 minus your age. Like, that's easier for me than trying to figure out, well, should I be in zone one? Is zone two better? Like, I don't, I don't know. So, so for me, MAF tones, the, the MAF method is more simple, less moving parts, easier to figure. Like, you know, in the rest of your, you said you did a, a, a heart rate zone, a lactate threshold test. Like those are hard to do. I'd rather just go 180 minus my age, make a couple of adjustments based on the, the factors. And there's a question on that coming up. So we'll save it for that. Um, like that's easier. Is it perfect? Probably not. Is, is your, was your lactate threshold test perfect? Probably not. Are we close enough? Sure. So I go with the math because it's easier, but as long as you're like, I definitely would encourage one form or another doing some sort of effort-based philosophy where the bulk of your runs are easy. Again, is it 70%, 80%, 90%? Sure. Anywhere in there is fine. So, yeah, I mean, I, I guess I prefer Math 180 just because it's simpler. 
Hope that makes sense. Uh, thanks for the question, Sherry. Next question from Kenton Hips. How to keep them healthy? How do you check if you're lacking mobility anywhere? So, you know, th- th- this is one of those questions, Kenton, and, and it's, it's great to bring up um, where where the answer is pretty much what you think. And you don't no need to overcomplicate the situation. Like, how do you keep your hip, how do you keep your hips healthy? You do the things that help them stay healthy. You know, you you um, do some strength training where you're doing some exercises that, that target your your hips and your glutes and, and everything kind of around that area. Um, you do some stretches, maybe do some foam rolling to help loosen up the muscles. Um, you know, again, don't you know whether it's stretching, whether it's yoga, whether it's it's just some some dynamic work. Um, you know, like like there's no no perfect way, no way that everything has to be done or should be done. Uh, just kind of figuring out the right mix for you. How do you check if you're lacking mobility anywhere? I'm going to go out on a limb and say that your, your hip flexors are tight because that's like 99% of people, certainly runners. Uh, you, you're running, the running motion tightens the hip flexors. And then the sitting motion tightens the hip flexors or the sitting, the lack of motion when sitting tightens the hip flexors. So probably your hip flexors are tight. How would you, how would you test it? I mean, there's, there's different ways you could, you could get all technical and do like range of motion testing, which isn't exactly the easiest thing, especially at the hip, isn't the easiest thing to do for yourself, but just doing something as simple as, you know, going down into like a a kneeling hip flexor stretch and like testing how far you can go. You know, are are you feeling a good, good stretch before you even kind of like start to lean forward? If so, then your hip flexors are probably pretty tight. You know, you could pull the foot back to your, doing like a quad stretch, pulling your, you know, grabbing your ankle behind you, pulling your heel up towards your tuchus. And if you can't get your heel to your, to your backside, then probably your quad slash hip flexors are tight. It's not exactly scientific. There's probably better tests and range of motion things that you can do, but those are simple. And we'll tell you that, like I said, more than likely your hip flexors are tight. So doing some work on them with stretching, with foam rolling, um, with, with counterbalancing by working your glutes a little bit more, more to come on that, um, are good ways to kind of help maintain the, the, strength balance, which is going to help with your form. It's going to help with your running efficiency, running economy, all those types of things. Um, but yeah, I mean, don't ignore your hips. That's kind of an important part. You know, the hips, core, trunk, glute area, easy to overlook, but do so at your own, at your own detriment. So thanks for the question, Kenton. Appreciate it. Um, next question from Karen, what are your favorite races from where you're from and where you're living now? So this is a, this is a tough one. Karen, a lot more difficult than it should be because, uh, I guess the first half, where am I from? Where, where I'm from, you know, Northern Michigan, like I wasn't a runner when I lived up there. And so I've never really run any races there. The only race I've run in, in the state of, well, I guess uh, two races I've run in the state of Michigan. Uh, the first, well, I guess maybe that's my favorite. I don't even know if they're still doing it, but, uh, the first race I ran was in, I was a senior in high school. I ran the ECOOP uh, race, which was a little, uh, race put on by our cross country team. Uh, which ECUP is E K U P. It's it's puke spelled backwards. Ten mile run, open to anybody at the at the school. You know, staff members, uh, students, whatever. Um, it was kind of like that that challenge race, and it was one of those things. And I've told this story before, but it's been a minute. Where a couple of my buddies were like, "Well, I'll do it if you'll do it. Well, I'll do it when we're, our senior year. We'll all do this race." You know, we're saying this as freshmen or sophomores, right? And so then our senior year rolls around, and like nobody wanted to be the guy that was like, "Well, I'm not going to do it." So. Three or four of us, we all begrudgingly ran ECOOP together. Um, well, not together. We all ran ECOOP, um, which that was a fun race. Like one that I wasn't, I didn't know what I was doing. I ran like three training runs before that, 
was miserable, got it done, whatever. Uh, the other race I ran was a couple years ago, ran, ran the local 5k uh, over the 4th of July that supported the, you know, the, the high school track and cross country team, I guess kind of common theme here. Um, which no way am I going to say that 5k is my favorite type of race. So, um, so I guess the e was my favorite race, but it's not exactly open to anybody, but I, I know that there's plenty of, of really good races in Northern Michigan, the, the, the Traverse city, grand Traverse Bay or whatever that's it's called the, the Memorial day, uh, weekend ish race in, in Traverse city is a big one. There's some good trail races along the, the, the North country trail, things like that. Um, so, you know, I've got my eye on a couple of races from back home as far as something I might run eventually the, the, uh, West Michigan Ragnar runs through my hometown. So that's kind of one that, that I wouldn't mind maybe doing at some point. Um, but I've never, I've never run any like proper races or you know, any distance, proper distance races in, uh, in Northern Michigan. So it's hard for me to say which ones my favorite are because I don't know. As for races down here again, like I, I'm not a big racer anymore. And so, you know, the, the races I've run the most are definitely Disney races, but your mileage may vary on Disney races and, and my mileage varies on Disney races. Like they're okay, but I, I'm not one. I'm personally not one that feels the need to do them every year. Like give me, give me a Disney race every, you know, two, four, six years, something like that. That's enough. That's enough. Um, so, I mean, I guess they're my favorites, but not really. Um, I like the celebration. I, I ran that like five years ago, actually going to thinking about going back and running celebration this year. I might do the half marathon, but it's a half and a full late January. So if anybody wants to get out of the, get out of the, the winter months in January might be a, there might be a thing happening that weekend. Stay tuned for more details there. Um, but I don't know for me, most races are, are fine. Like, you know, Part of the, part of the allure, I guess, of, of races, but you know, when I think of races that stand out in my head, the races that I've traveled to, right. The races that I've gone somewhere new, somewhere different. So like a Disney race is fun, but it's, it's kind of in my backyard. So it's kind of, eh, you know, so I don't know. I don't have any, very many good answers for you, Karen, but I, I like the question. Uh, I'd be curious to hear what your favorite races are from where you're living. Uh, but, uh, but thank you for the question, Karen. And, uh, uh, always looking for more good race recommendations that are outside of my backyard. So let me know anybody that has them. Next question from Thessaly, coming from the old uh, Pacific Northwest. Olympic Games are here. At the time of recording slash publishing this episode, the games will be halfway finished. Keeping that in mind, what have been your favorite standout events slash stories, etc.? And what do you look forward to most over the next week of the games? So, oh, Thessaly, it pains me to say this, and I know you're going to be disappointed in me, but I'm just not getting into the Olympics this year. And I'm going to blame NBC. For the most part, because I, I, I blame NBC, like NBC's coverage of the Olympics, whether it's the winter games, whether it's the summer games, it's pretty much terrible every year. As far as I'm concerned. Yeah. I don't know. You may like it, but like, I don't like the, the chopped, you know, the, the, the edited, the over edited, you know, we're going to, we're going to show you a little bit of this and then we're going to bounce over to this other event and this other thing and moving around. And then we're going to come back to the pool and then we're going to go out to the mountains and we're going to come here and then we're going to go there and like, just show me the freaking events that I want to watch. Right. Um, and I, and I hate all the storytelling, all the, like the personal, like I don't give two craps about all, you know, this person's upbringing and how they've, they've been playing this sport since they were two. And uh, like, I just don't care. And maybe that makes me a callous jerk. Like, okay, I've been called worse things, all of which is probably true. But, like, I just want to watch the events. And you would think that in 2021, 
that NBC would allow you to just watch the events. And maybe they, they do. You can, I'm sure you probably can watch them live. The problem is that this year's Olympics are live in Japan, which means that the, the time zone difference is about as dramatic as it gets. Um, so it, it's been hard for me to, to try to watch anything live. Um, so then I'm stuck either watching NBC's replays, which I'm not going to do, or I'm stuck watching um, like the clips. And so I've been struggling with that because like you go to YouTube or you go to the, the, the Peacock app or whatever, and you go to watch it and it's like, watch, you know, Katie Ledecky wins the 1500. Well, fuck, like I don't, I wanted to watch the race. Like you're telling me who won it. Like, okay. But now I, now, uh, why am I going to watch it? So I've been struggling. The one thing that has been going well so far is I've gotten into water polo a little bit. Um, because it's one of the few sports that I'm relatively interested in because I don't ever watch it other than at the Olympics. You never hardly saw it. It wasn't like overexposed, like gymnastics and things like that, which just overexposed to me. If you like to use gymnastics, great. Um, but like, I don't care about gymnastics anymore. Like don't care at all. Um, because it's all like, that's what NBC wants to show you all the time. Right? Like I, I like the sports that you don't get to watch very often. And on the Peacock app, I can watch like full replays of the matches as opposed to a little clip. When I, when I look at swimming, I can watch the, the full replays of the, the Olympic trials, but I can't watch the full replays of like the, the men's 200 meter breaststroke. That's what I want to watch. So step off my soapbox here. I've been very meh about the Olympics this year. I guess I'll keep watching the, the water polo because I'm enjoying it. Um, you know, as far as next week, I'm sure I'll probably get into the track a little bit. Um, but again, it, it, like I usually really get into the swimming and NBC's got me all gummed up on the swimming. I'm worried they're going to do the same thing for the track and I'm just not even going to care about track next week. And that's a bummer. Um, so yeah, these Olympics, ugh. 2024 will be better because they'll be in France. It'll be easier to watch things live. Um, I don't know where are the winter Olympics next year. Hopefully those will be better as well. Um, We'll, we'll make do, I guess. That's all we can do is just make do. But I'm not as, not as excited about the Olympics this year as usual, sadly. So sorry sorry to disappoint. Hope you're enjoying the Olympics more than I am, Thessaly, uh, because honestly, that'd be a low bar to, low bar to clear. But thanks for the question, as always. Uh, next, next, another question from Melody. Are you afraid of anything? I'm not talking about big things, world destruction, et cetera, et cetera. I mean like bugs, snakes, alligators, koala bears, bunny rabbits. Uh, definitely not afraid of, of bunny rabbits or koala bears. Um, although I, I suppose that I, I get a, a little a little jolt uh, if, if I'm running on a trail and like a, a bunny rabbit like jumps out at me or something like that. Like like I would be startled, you know, like I'm, I am human. Um, I don't, I, you know, like nothing really comes to mind. Like I don't have, I, I don't feel like I have any... Um, quote unquote, irrational fears or any like major phobias or, or things like that. Um, you know, like if I'm out on a trail and like, there's a snake in the middle of the trail, like I'm going to, I'm going to be startled. Uh, hopefully it's going to be a non-venomous snake, but if it's not, then like, I'm, I'm not going to mess with it. I'm not going to get all crocodile hunter on it and start picking it up and you know, Oh, you naughty boy. Like, no, like I'm not going to do anything like that. Um, you know, alligators, like, like when there, when there's an alligator sunning itself right next to the trail, like, I don't just like go scurrying right past it. Like it's MBD. Like I, I usually have to do a little bit of math. Is it worth turning around? Is it worth, do I think I can get by him? Like what's going on here? Um, so there's like a healthy fear, I think of, of things that could kill me. Um, 
you know, like, like, yeah, I guess, yeah, I'm afraid of, of, of fairly quote unquote normal things. Like, you know, I'm afraid of getting injured. I'm afraid of, of, you know, like, but I guess maybe those, those are bigger things. Like, you know, like I'm not really afraid of bugs, but like, you know, I'm not going to go mess around with like a hornet's nest. Like, right. Like, like whether that's fear or whether that's just like common sense, you, you be the judge. Um, so, so I don't know. Am I really afraid of it? Like, I don't think so. Other than like stuff that makes sense, stuff that's normal, stuff that you're just not like, again, common sense would tell you don't, uh, you know, don't, don't tug on Superman's cape. Don't spit in the wind. Like those types of things. Right. So, uh, a little Jim Croce record, right? Isn't that Jim Croce? Somebody fact check me on that. I think that's Jim Croce reference. Um, if not, I guess I'm afraid of, I guess I'm clearly not afraid of making an idiot of myself trying to reference Jim Croce when it's not him. But uh, thanks for the question, Melody. And uh, if anything pops up that I become afraid of, I'll be sure to let you know. Uh, Next question from Alan. Anybody listening to the pod long enough has heard the story of your first marathon. But can you tell us the experience that you had on your first marathon that you actually adequately trained for? That's a very interesting question, Mr. Pierce. Um, For those that aren't aware of the first marathon story, I'm sure I'll, you know, somewhere you can find it or I can give it to you again at some point down the road. But basically it was a dumpster fire, an ill-prepared no idea what I was getting myself into ended about ended up about like you would expect. I finished, but it was a disaster. Um, so, you know, what was, what was the story of your, your first marathon that you actually adequately trained for? It's, it's, it's a great question, but it's, it's also, you know, how do you define adequately? Like, was that the first race that I actually trained for, which I was, I was certainly better trained for than I was for my first two. Was it adequate? I mean, I guess. I don't know. That, that's, that's the story I'll give you. It was my third marathon, Kiowa Island uh, Marathon in uh, 2012. Uh, it was it was kind of, I guess, at that point, like 2012 was kind of the year that I, I kind of really feel like I became a, a semi-serious runner. Joined the running club, was doing group workouts, was running consistently, uh, you know, getting long runs in semi-regularly, actually like prepared halfway decent for the marathon. Uh, you know, hindsight, I'm nowhere near as prepared. I was nowhere near as, as adequately trained for that one as I have been for any race I've done in the last couple of years. Um, but that would have been the first one that like, I actually did some things right leading up to the race. Um, and as such, it's kind of a boring story, right? Like, like it kind of went like it should have. Um, I, I, I went into the race with a, with a plan to, of doing run one mile, walk a 10th. So I ran the first mile. And then at, at that point I walked for one tenth and ran, to the next mile marker. So I ran, you know, a nine tenths of a mile, walked a 10th. So I had like a run walk strategy the whole way through, um, Kia, Kiwa Island in, in South Carolina. It's a, it's like a barrier Island in South Carolina. Uh, so it's super flat. Um, the, the one hill on the course kind of broke me. Thankfully it was at like mile 25 or 24. Um, I, I wish I was making this up, but the hill was like legitimately like four feet, six feet, something like that. It was a nothing hill. It was literally like, it was a little dip. And then you went up over like a culvert that was, you know, just helped the swamp drain and then back down. But like, when I hit that, I was just like, like it almost brought tears to my eyes. Cause I was just tired. I was over it. Like that was where the, the race caught up to me. It was like 20, 24, 25 miles. Um, but I pulled it together. I finished, I ended up with, a. Um, like an hour and maybe five minutes, like about a 65 minute PR from my first marathon to the third one. My six, my second marathon was, was even was injury related worse than my first one. I ended up like my first marathon, I think was five forty. Um, you can fact check the numbers. That's it, not exactly right, but it's close. The second one was like six thirty, And then the, the third one was like a four thirty five. So like I said, right about a, an hour, hour plus, uh, PR, um, 
you know, like it went relatively uneventfully, which is kind of what should happen when you're training well for a race. So learned a lot that day. Um, conditions were great. Small race. That was when I, that was my first smaller race. I was like, Oh, this is way better than, uh, you know, the, the 20,000 people at the Disney world marathons. Uh, so I guess maybe that was where the, the love of, you know, the, the couple thousand people races started, um, might've even been smaller than that, but it was, it was, it was enough people that I wasn't alone, but it was definitely not, uh, not crowded by any stretch. Um, so yeah, you know, that was, that was my first race that I actually trained for, uh, semi-adequately. And then it's only gotten better from there because, you know, to not get too philosophical on you and not, not, and to, to answer a question that you didn't ask, but you know, good training builds on good training, right? So hopefully every race, I'm more adequately trained than I was the race before, because I'm continuing to build on the work that I've done, learning some things, adding some, some things, subtracting some things, always trying to refine, always trying to get better. But that was the first one that my training wasn't an absolute disaster for. And, uh, the results speak for themselves, you know, an over an hour PR probably won't have one of those again. Uh, because if I did, whew, I mean, that would put me at uh, sub three hours and I don't think that's going to happen. So thanks for the question and, and bringing back a good marathon story as opposed to the dumpster fire. That was my, uh, my first one. So thanks Alan. Uh, next couple of questions, next few questions, three questions in a row from uh, Nebraska. Dan asks when you are calculating your math heart rate, I see that there are modifications that you can make based on how long you've been running injury or illness and so forth. Is it worthwhile to consider making these modifications or is it better to just go with the 180 minus your age? If there are, which of the modifications would you recommend considering? So, um, I guess the simple answer, Dan, is that, yeah, like the modifications are there for a reason. Uh, you know, I, I know I've had the argument with folks before or the discussion, maybe it was an argument. I don't know that the 180 minus your age is awfully one size fits all. And like, it's not, but it kind of is like, I, I can see both sides of it. But those modifications are where it, it is not one size fits all. Those modifications are where it really, you dial it in a little bit more. If you've been running for a while and you've been healthy, well, then you get to add some more beats. So it's 180 minus your age plus five, I think. If you've been, if you're coming off of an injury, if you're new to running, if you are sick, you subtract some beats so that you don't overstress your body, which is, which is what it's all about. So, so yeah, like I, I think that those recommendations are definitely worth not only considering, but implementing, um, that said, you know, here's a do as I say, do as not as I do type of situation. I haven't really changed my math target in four years. Like, and I guess maybe part of that is that these days, most of my runs I'm doing them. Like it's rare that I get even close to my math limit. So like the, the, the limit that I have set on my watch is 141, which actually funny enough is my, my age right now. I'm 39. So 180 minus my age. So that's 141, but it's been 141 since I started. Like I started it at 141 when I was 30, whatever, 36, 35, when I started doing the formula, um, I started, I started a month before my birthday. So, you know, it's kind of blurs a little bit. Uh, but I was just like, well, I'm not going to set it at 145 and then have to change it in six weeks. Uh, so, so I just started, but, but I, I did some other formula and like the book I was reading in primal, primal endurance, where they talk about it, they gave you another formula. They're like, you know, if you want to try both, check both, go with whichever one is lower. So I went with the one that gave me the, the, the formula at the time, which gave me 141. Um, and I just stuck there and my plan is to kind of stick there. Assuming no, nothing major happens 
I guess for probably the next five years, because at that point I'll be at 180 minus my age plus five because I've been running for three, four, five, eight years injury free. Um, so I'll get to add the extra five beats. Um, spoiler alert, I'll probably still be doing my, most of my runs in the one twenties, you know? So, so it doesn't really, I guess that's why for me, it doesn't really like, I like whatever, whether it's, whether my, my target is, is one forty one or one forty six or one forty three or whatever, like based on the modifications. Cause I'm not, I haven't been injured. I haven't been, been sick. I haven't had any of those types of issues where I'd have to subtract numbers. Like I'm still going to do most of my runs in the one twenties. So it doesn't matter. Um, but if you're bumping up against the top edge, that tells me that, that you might want to be more considerate or more make a better attempt to, to lock in the numbers that are right for you. So maybe make those adjustments so that you're, you're staying below the level to see those aerobic gains. Um, but that said, you know, and the, the flip side is that if you're, if you're kind of bumping right up against the number and if you, if you started subtracting for injury or illness or things like that, and all of a sudden you'd be walking a lot more than you'd been run, be running and that would suck the fun out of it for you. Well, then maybe that would be the time to, to consider not making the modifications because at the end of the day, we want this to be fun. I mean, that's, I, I hope if nothing else, I've been consistent with that message that, that this needs to be fun, that running needs to be fun. You need to enjoy it. And so if you're putting too much stress on yourself to try to stay under the heart rate, tar- heart rate target, and then you make it harder on yourself by subtracting a few beats, um, that it's no longer fun, then it's no longer worth it. So, uh, but yeah, you know, all things considered in a perfect world, absolutely. You should take the, the considerations in, in mind and, and use them. Um, the modifications, I mean, uh, because it's going to give you, it's going to put you in the right position to get the results more likely than if you start going a couple beats above your aerobic limit, which is how the, the math situation works out then, you know, you're, you're, you're running that risk of not seeing as much progress as you could if you just slowed it down a little bit more. So I don't know if all that made sense, but yeah, like, like the formulas, the, the, the recommendations are there to optimize the formula. So, you know, like, I think it makes sense to use them again, all things being equal. Next question from Dan, what are some things that you are considering in running in business or in life in general that make you uncomfortable, maybe even slightly, uh, you know, frightened or a little bit of trepidation, some of those things that are making you nervous a little bit. Uh, interesting question. And, and, uh, it, it, I guess the, the question itself presupposes that I make enough plans far enough in advance that I have time to be uncomfortable or nervous or frightened. Um, which isn't really my style, Dan, in case you can't tell, I haven't been able to tell over the years. I'm, I'm more of a fly by the seat of your pants kind of guy. Um, which Rebecca isn't the biggest fan of, but you know, it keeps me from overthinking things sometimes because I don't have time to overthink it. So I, you know, maybe there's a, a, a perk there. Um, but some things in running that I maybe a little bit, uh, you know, a little bit of trepidation about a little bit of, of uncomfortableness, um, you know, going longer with the ultras. That's, that's something that, you know, and it's equal parts like exciting and nerve wracking you know, but the fact that I'm probably going to do this silly 45 miler in November with Kate, like that's, yeah, that, that's, that's a thing, um, that, that isn't exactly uh, super comfortable thought right now. Um, you know, probably the, the, the idea of, of just throwing down like a hard marathon at some point, like that's a little bit uncomfortable just because, you know, like, you know, it's, it's going to hurt. You know, it's the same thing like throwing down a hard 5k, except instead of it only being three miles, it's going to be 26 miles. 
uh, effort will be different. Of course, I'll, I'll, I'll scale it accordingly. But you know that that's that, you know uh, I don't have any plans to do it any, anytime soon. But when it when the time comes, like that'll be uncomfortable. Um, you know, but I mean, I feel like those are good good excitement or good nervousness or good uncomfortable as well. Uh, on the business side of things, I mean, kind of un- rolling out this you know whatever I'm calling it, but this kind of deluxe model of coaching. Um, I'm a little bit nervous about that because if I'm going to do it, like a, I want to make sure that it's it's worth the price tag, which is not going to be cheap. Um, but B like, you know, I also, you know, don't want to do it and, and have nothing but crickets. Like, I mean, it's not the end of the world if nobody takes me up on it. Um, but I think it could be like, this is just some nervousness about that. You know, like if I put it out there, are people going to take me up on it? Uh, you know, like, like, is it going to be, is it going to be worth, am I going to be able to provide enough value, which I think I can, but at the same time, like, again, it's not going to be cheap. So, um, are people going to, going to want to pay for, some extra, a lot of extra bonuses. And, and, oh, by the way, me showing up to run with them on race day, like, you know, help pace them, things like that. Going back to Melody's question about pacing. Um, hopefully, cause I think it would be awesome. I think it'd be fun. I think it'd be a great, a, a cool thing. Um, I suppose the, the book, <laughs> makes me uncomfortable as well. Otherwise, if it, if it didn't, I'd probably have figured out how to start writing it somewhere in the last two years that I've been talking about it. So I, I guess there's that, um, you know, probably a lot of things in business that just kind of make me you know, like, what happens if everybody fires me tomorrow? I mean, that would suck. I don't think it's going to happen, but yeah, that would, that would make me uncomfortable. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I'm, again, I, I, I have some plans, I guess, but not enough that are far enough out there that, that they're that uncomfortable. Um, life in general, I mean, not much really, you know, like, like obviously, you know, the, 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 all of the, the normal things as far as like, you know, if something were to happen to somebody losing a family member, like obviously those types of things are, but I'm not like considering those things, right? Like, like we're not considering a move. We're not considering any type of major life changes. Uh, no more kids, like none of those types of things. So, um, I think life probably is, is the most stable ish right now as at least as far as like decisions that we have control over. Right. Like there's always, there's always the possibility of, of the unexpected, but those, those, those things you can't obviously consider. So, you know, life we're, I think pretty good, pretty steady. Uh, so no, no real unease there, but on the other side, other, other avenues, like, yeah, there's, there's a little bit, but again, like I'm for better or, or, or blah, for better or for worse, I'm laid back enough that eh, whatever, we'll figure it out. And maybe that's a, Maybe that's a good thing. Maybe it's not, but it keeps me from getting too uncomfortable about decisions and, and, and future plans and things like that. But uh, thanks for the question, Dan. It got me to think a little bit and, and gave me a chance to plug that, uh, that new coaching option as well for anybody that might be interested. Let me know and uh, we'll, we'll get you the scoop. Uh, although I'm going to make the scoop publicly available pretty soon too. So, you know, stay tuned. Um, last question from Dan. As you look back over the interviews that you've done on the podcast with people from the tribe, was there anything that surprised you? What was the biggest takeaway from the experience? Um, I don't know that there's anything that surprised me. I, I think that it was a lot of what I expected. It was a lot of fun. It was great to get to know some of you guys a little bit more. Uh, if anybody else is interested, like, let me know. We, we can, I know we've kind of gotten away from it recently, but we can get back to it. You know, anybody that's new to the show, things like that. Uh, if you want to talk shop for a bit and share some of your story and, and, you know, have your own podcast episode instead of just listening to everybody else's, I uh, would be happy to, to, to try to set something up and make it happen. Um, you know, I guess my, my takeaway, uh, from, from that whole, you know, more or less year long experiment was just, just the reminder or, or just, you know, kind of the, the, the 
actualization of what I've kind of thought since the beginning is that, you know, it doesn't matter fast, slow, run long, run short. You've been running for decades or running for, for weeks. Like every runner has, has their own story and there's, there's something you can learn and take away from everybody's experience. Right. Like, like sometimes it's, it's reaffirming things you already thought. Sometimes it's a totally different perspective. Sometimes it's, it's, it's whatever, but you know, like I loved it. I loved it. I was, was so glad to get to know some folks a bit more, um, you know, connect and, and, and hear your voice for the first time, instead of y'all just always hearing mine, like you have a chance to hear some, some people's voices, actually talk to them for the first time. Um, when you've been listening to me for, for months and years in some cases. So like, yeah, it was awesome. It, it, like that was, I, I don't know that it's a takeaway. Then it was, just, it was awesome. It was so much fun. And uh, I don't know. I don't really remember. I don't really remember where the idea came from, but I'm so glad that I put it out there and that so many of you raised your hand. And, and again, anybody that didn't get a chance to do it and would be up for it, Hit me up and we'll make it happen. Next question from Alan. We got, uh, what, seven, six, seven more questions to go. Maybe just maybe get in under two hours. Look at me go. Look at me go. We'll see. Uh, Alan's question. Would you say that most injuries runners have are completely unavoidable? Um, completely is a, is a word that I don't like, but outside of that word. Yeah. I would absolutely say that most running injuries are avoidable. Um, you know, like the fact of the matter is running is an impact sport. Um, there is a, a certain degree of, of unknown, you know, out there, especially the more of the acute injuries, you, you step funny off a curb, you, you, you slip on, on the side of a, of a hill, like whatever, some of those, those impact things, those instant injuries, like those are not avoidable. Like th- those are, those happen from time to time. You trip on a rock, like, and, and you break your collarbone, like those, those things happen. I mean, maybe they could be a little, you could be a little more careful. You could be, a little, but, but for the most part, those things happen, but the overuse injuries, the, the running too hard, too often injuries and not listening to your body injuries, your strains, your, your, your pulls, um, maybe not your pulls, but your strains, uh, your, your itises, uh, your, your, some of those types of things, most of those types of things. I'm not going to say that they're a hundred percent completely avoidable, but I'll, I'll make a number up and say 96% like of those things could be avoidable with being, being more aware of what your body's telling you, listening to your body, running your easy runs, easy, taking days off when you need them. Um, doing some of the little things, you know, doing, doing things that, that if you've been running long enough, you know, you, you, you know, they're available, you know, you probably should do them, but you don't always do them. And I'm, I'm guilty of this too. You know, I'm not the only one. Um, but the more of the right things that you do, meaning the more that you listen to your body, the more you, you get good sleep, the more you're running easy, the more your diet's on point, the more you're, you're, you're doing foam rolling, like then you can get away with not doing a few things. So I guess my not doing is, is the foam rolling well-documented. I don't do that very often, but I'm pretty on point with running easy. Most of the time, I'm pretty on point with listening to my body. And if something really doesn't feel right, not forcing it, I'm pretty on point with getting some pretty decent sleep doing my strength training. And this isn't me bragging on myself, but I'm saying those are the types of things that I believe go a long way to the fact that I really haven't had any common running injury in like three years. And I've run more in the last three years than I ever have. Like, like I'm on pace to run more this year than probably any two years combined. If you take last year out of the equation, like last year was a big year, but this year I'm going to probably run five or six or 700 miles more than I ran last year. Um, and I feel great. I feel strong. I feel healthy. I feel fit. Uh, I haven't been doing my foam rolling like I should, but I strength training 
twice a week pretty religiously. As far as lower body, hips, core strength training, I do get a couple extra upper body sessions in as well. But the ones that really matter for me, the lower body, core, hip strength, you know, I'm, I'm at whatever, 80, 86% success rate on those. Uh, I've, I've done 44 of the 51 Tuesdays and Thursdays of the year. So that's pretty good. Um, getting sleep games on point. I feel like I got my nutrition dialed in pretty well. Even if, even those of you that don't like the, the low carb thing, that's fine. It works for me. So I, I, you know, I'm dialed in on it. Uh, and I think that those types of things have, have really gone a long way to help me avoid injuries. Does that, does that mean I'm foolproof? I'm, I'm bulletproof and I'm never going to get injured? No. But if I keep doing the right things, what I think are the right things, not saying that they're universally right, but for me, they're right. I think that I'll have a pretty good shot at staying injury free for a long time. So yeah. Alan, to answer your question, I think that most injuries that runners have are almost completely avoidable. There's always that fluky situation, but for the most part, yeah, most common running injuries can be either avoided or or dramatically diminished by just, you know, paying attention to what your body's saying, listening to your body and not always trying to force everything just because the schedule says that you should run today. Maybe your body says not to listen to your body, let the schedule go. But uh, great question and something that I can rant on as much as you want. So if you want me to rant more on it next month, ask again and we'll fire it up. We'll fire it up. Uh, next question from Michaela. Her last question of the month. What is your favorite running memory? I mean, you know, like, I don't know. How do you, like, how do you want to classify favorite running memory? Like most proud achievement, uh, something that stands out. Like, like there's so many different ways you could classify it. So I'll give you, I'll give you three that are favorites for, you know, different, reasons, right? So like the, every time I get asked the, the proudest question, I think that, that I, at least for now, I keep going back to the day that I ran, uh, two half marathons on the same day and PR'd both of them. So, you know, quick story, quick version of the story. Cause I've told it before, but we had, uh, I signed up for the, the Disney wine and dine half marathon when that used to be a nighttime race, which was when it was really was my favorite race. Um, so I signed up for that one. Then that local half marathon that I paced a few years back, it was the first year of the race. I wanted to support the local race. It was the same day. That one was at eight in the morning. The Disney race was at 10, it started at 10 o'clock at night. At that point I had a streak of never not setting a PR in a half marathon. So I said, all right, well, let's, let's have some fun with this. We've got two marathon, two half marathons on the same day. Let's see if we can't PR in both of them again. So I went out for the first, the first, you know, the morning race, the local race and knew what my PR was. I can't remember offhand. I think it was like 158, something like that. So it wasn't super great, but you know, it was, it was a PR at the time. And I probably could have knocked eight or 10 minutes off. I probably could have gotten down to 150 or, or better. Uh, but I knew I didn't want to sell all out because I had another race that night. Right. So I ran it in like 157, basically like whatever. I, I was pacing myself to be about a minute faster than my, my PR going into it. Um, and then that night, the hope was that I'd requ- re- recover enough in between and could go out and, and push myself and see what happened. Uh, executed the, the evening's plan perfectly. I think I ended up knocking like another minute and a half or two minutes off of the, the PR, in, in, you know, 12 hours later, um, but a boom, but a bam, two PRs in the same day in two official half marathons. Like that's a pretty cool memory. Um, my first ultra, my first 50 K, um, th- that the finish of that one was exciting or was, was it is a good memory? Cause Rebecca ran it in with me from probably the last half mile or so, maybe the last mile. Um, I was struggling. I was over it. I was hurting. I did not want to do this anymore. And then here's, here's my little angel standing there by the, you know, hit, trying to hitch a ride with me on, on, for the last little bit of the race. Um, not, not expected. I didn't expect that. I had no idea she was planning on doing that. Um, 
but then she, you know, that she helped me to just kind of keep going and finish the race. Um, I don't want to say finishing it strong, but finish it, finishing the race. Uh, and so that, that's a, like a, a cool, you know, memory, uh, of, of sharing that with her, of her sharing it with me. Um, and then similarly, but from a father perspective, uh, the, the local trail half marathon that I've run a couple times, uh, the first time I ran it, which would have been like 20, 2018, February, 2018. So Addison was like three and a half years old. Um, they were, they were at the finish line waiting for me. And, uh, she like ran underneath the, the, the fence and, uh, you know, ran across the finish line with me at, at three years old or three. And so kind of waddled across the finish line with me. And I was, I was more than happy to give up a few seconds. You know, I finished, I think two hours flat that day. Um, I think I could have finished in, you know, one fifty nine fifty six. Um, but I was happy to give those four seconds off and, and have the, the pictures of her and I running across the finish line together. Uh, hopefully something we can do again at some point and maybe she can run with me from the start to the finish. Um, but that was a, that was a fun memory too. So, I mean, there's many others, you know, each, each race has its own, you know, certain, certain memories and certain things about it. Uh, but those are, those are three that really, uh, you know, for different reasons, will be tough to beat, uh, going forward. So I don't know, whichever is my favorite, like, I'm not going to pick one over the other. Those, those are three that really stand out. Uh, but thanks for the questions, Michaela. Next one, another one from Alan. We've got three more from Alan. One more from Kenton, and we'll wrap this thing up. Uh, first one from Alan of the uh, the final batch. Uh, is there anybody you really like and have tried hard to get on the podcast but haven't been successful in locking them in? Uh, yeah, there's a few people. I'm not gonna I'm not gonna put them on on blast. Um, but uh, let's just say there there may be some some bigger name folks that I would have loved to have talked to, but now I kind of don't care about them anymore. Like not that I don't care about them, but like I'm not chasing them. I'm not like I I. For better or worse, love it or hate it, um, if, if, if it's going to take me asking you every week for six months to get on the podcast, like, I don't, like, if you think you're too good, then whatever. Like, and, and, to, and whether or not that's what you actually think, if I'm, if I'm constantly asking you and you're constantly, making, oh yeah, well, ask me again, follow up, follow up, you know, ask this, email my assistant, blah, 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 which that's kind of stuff has happened. Like, to me, that's, that's you saying that, that you're too good for me. Um, and again, maybe I'm reading the wrong thing into it, but like, I don't care that much. I'll find, I'll find other people. I'll find people that listen to the show that want to talk. I'll find people that I know on social media that are, that, that are, are, yeah. Oh yeah. I'd love to talk to you, you know, just because you're some famous person. Um, and, and I get like, you're busy. Like I, we're all busy, but yeah. So I'm not going to put anybody on blast, but yeah, there's definitely been people like that. And, and, uh, they're probably not ever going to be on the show because I don't care that much to chase them down anymore. So, you know, and maybe there's some arrogance on that on my part. I, I recognize that, but it is what it is. So, uh, so yeah, definitely have had some of those situations. Um, another one from Alan. Do you believe that there's a genetic ceiling for runners? Could a person be as disciplined as possible and implement all the little things and still plateau? Or do you think there's always a way to get better? Um, yes. Yes to both questions, Alan. Um, I mean, uh, yeah, I, I absolutely believe that there's a genetic ceiling for, for people, you know, like, like, uh, and I'll just use myself as an example. I don't want to, I don't want to, you know, dim anybody else's dreams or goals, but like, I'm never going to run a sub 10 second hundred meter dash. I'm, ne- I'm never going to run a two hour and 20 minute marathon, let alone get close to breaking two hours. I'm never going to run a sub four minute mile. Like I don't have the genetics for, for, for doing those things just like 99.9% of the people on the, on the earth. Right. 
Like, and, 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 and again, like there's, there's, there's nothing wrong with that. Like, it's just, it, it is what it is. Like, like the, the people that do those crazy, cr- proverbial crazy, those, those crazy feats of endurance, of speed, of strength, of athleticism, whatever you want to call it beyond running, but, but certainly in running as well. Yes. They worked incredibly hard. They were incredibly diligent, focused, all kinds of time and effort. And I, I don't want to diminish that at all. They also hit the genetic lottery for that particular thing. You know, the reason that Usain Bolt is the best sprinter that the world has ever seen. Maybe the best we ever will see. I don't know, to be determined. But the reason that to this point, he's the best 100 and 200 meter specialist that has ever been out there is that he worked incredibly hard and he was the perfect genetic specimen for those types of distances. I mean, it's a combination. You can't have one without the other because everybody else, you know, even look at the highest level, right? The, the, the guys that ran the hundred meter dash with Usain Bolt in the Olympics that were running nine nines and 10 flats that would have won gold medals at any Olympic game prior to when Usain Bolt came around, they were working. They, you can't tell me that Usain Bolt was working harder than them. And that's why he was better. He had just a little bit better genetic. He had a, he had a 1% better genetic, genetic situation. And so they did the same work and he beat him. Not even close because of the genetics. All right. So, so yeah, I totally believe that there's a genetic ceiling. Now, do I think that most runners get to that genetic ceiling? Eh, maybe not so much. Maybe not so much. Um, because most of us that aren't professionals, we can be all the disciplined we want to be, but there's just not enough hours in the day to do everything. There's not enough hours in the day to get all the miles to sleep 10 or 12 hours a night, to get a massage every couple few days, to do all the strength training, to do all the cross training, to do all the foam rolling, to do all the yoga, to have a diet that's perfectly on point, to still be a, a husband or a wife, to still be a mother or a father, to still be an employee or a business owner. Like, it's just not It's just not happening. Again, you can be all the disciplined you want. I, I, def- I don't want to say I defy you because I would love it if you could prove to me that you can do all those things, but I don't think you can do all those things. Not with 24 hours. Maybe if you had 40 hours in a day, somehow figure that out. Now you're cracking the code. So, so yeah, there's a genetic ceiling that we all have. You know, if, if I just, I, I don't, and I, like, I don't mean to diminish the hard work component because obviously you can do a lot. And to the last part of your question, do you think there's always a way to get better? Like, yeah, for the most part, um, I think very few people probably even including Usain Bolt and all the other great Olympians and great professionals out there. Like I think they're, they're always getting better. I, I don't know that anybody ever gets to their absolute maximum genetic capabilities. Maybe we do. Maybe some do. I don't know. But, but I think th- there's always room for improvement. There's always things you can learn. You know, I said earlier that training cycles build upon training cycles, right? I, I'm, I'm more prepared for the races I do now than the races I did, even the Kiowa Island race I did, you know, where I thought that was the best one I had prepared for at that time because I've continued to build on my, my training and building on my fitness, learning things, getting better, optimizing year after year. Hopefully I have, I've tried to. So, so yeah, I, I absolutely think there's a genetic ceiling, but I think that so, such a small, small infinitesimal percentage of people ever even get close to it that I think both can be true. 
that, that you always, that we always, that I always can improve, can get better, can, can optimize, but there's just certain, certain feats that I don't have the, the genetic makeup that are ever going to be possible. And I'm okay with that. I'm going to, I'm striving to get the best out of myself to, to, to continue to improve, to continue to be disciplined, to continue to train and, and recognize that, you know, I'm never going to, never going to break world records when it comes to speed or endurance or, or anything like that. That's okay. That's okay. Thank you for the question. Uh, last one from Alan. Who, I don't know how many questions you get in this month, Alan, but it's, it's a bunch. You might have, this might be the new record for most questions in any month, which is, which is, I don't know. I don't want anybody to strive to necessarily beat that, but Hey, kudos to you. Hat, hat tip for getting multiple, multiple, multiple questions in this month. Uh, last one from Alan. I've heard of running coaches who have coaches of their own. Have you ever hired a coach? And if you hired a coach for yourself, what would you look for? So absolutely. Lots of running coaches have coaches. Um, I don't, um, and I've never had one, not because I don't think it, it could help me. Not because I don't think that it would be beneficial. Um, I guess, I guess part of the reason is that, I don't know. I mean, my, my training style is heart rate training, obviously, uh, Maffetone specifically, and it's pretty simple, you know, like, like, like it's not something that, that is, it takes a lot of, of, of effort. I don't need the accountability piece that, that coaching often provides. Um, I understand a lot of the human body stuff, you know, from, from my physiology days and my kinesiology days, and my athletic training days. Um, so, so I just, it just has never been something that I felt like was the right time. Now I could, I could see getting into a situation where, you know, if I'm, if I'm kind of right on the cusp of qualifying for Boston, we're having some extra eyes, some extra, extra resource, uh, to really help me with like locking on some of my, my workouts and things like that. That would be probably the time that I would look for it, um, or, or consider it. But I think that, you know, what would I look for? It would obviously have to be somebody that was like on board with running easy most of the time, you know, a Maffetone style. Not necessarily would have to be, have to be Maffetone, but somebody that was heart rate training focused, or at least, you know, run easy most of the time focused. Like if they're going to tell me I need to do a, a track workout and a tempo workout and, and a long run every week, I'm going <laughs> to, sorry, I, I, that's not, it's not how it's going to work for me. Um, so I don't know if I'd ever get to that situation. We'll see. Um, but, but yeah, I, I, it's, that's, it's not something that I've ever ever followed through on. Um, so I don't know. I don't know what that says about me. Uh, maybe I don't take my running as serious as I could. Uh, maybe I'm cheap, maybe a little bit of both. Um, but, uh, I'm happy with where I am. I'm happy with the progress that I'm making, continuing to make. And, uh, if I get to a point where I'm, I'm too busy to worry about my own training, then yeah, I'd, I'd probably, uh, you know, I'd, I'd look for somebody and start with, with either Nora or Laura, you know, my, my mastermind ladies that I talk to every week. I know them, they know me. I think it'd be an easy, easy way to get started with one of them. Um, but if, if it wasn't the right fit, then we'd, you know, we'd find like, you know, whatever it, it's a possibility. Uh, but no plans on, on working with anybody from that perspective. And I have a business coach. I've had business coaches for years and that that's been very beneficial. Um, but from a, a running perspective, like I think I'm, I'm still at a point where I'm able to see progress with, with doing it myself. And, uh, as such, I'm going to kind of keep on keeping on, but, uh, thanks for the question there, Alan. And thanks for all the questions this month. Last one from Kenton, his second question of the month. And, uh, it simply says, uh, let's talk about the booty. I recently discovered I have glute amnesia, which I wish I discovered years ago. What are some simple tests to check and reactivate them? How much faster can you get? 
uh, for free just by activating sleepy glutes. So, so yeah, I mean, there's no doubt, Kenton, that from a, from a physiology perspective, from a biomechanical perspective, that your glutes are your powerhouses. Um, I mean, there's a reason that your gluteus maximus, like it legit is the biggest muscle in your body, you know? And it, and if you can tap into the biggest muscle in your body to help propel you going forward, like, I don't know how much faster you can get by for, for free, but I guarantee it'll make a difference in, in speed in endurance, fatigue, form, injury risk. Like, yeah, getting your glutes going kind of uh, would be a big deal. So how do you go about doing that? I wish it was as easy as just saying like, oh yeah, hey, wake up guys, let's go. Like, I wish it was that easy, right? Uh, the, the first thing, I think the, the first thing that you want to make sure you're doing is doing some exercises to get the glutes firing, to, to, to build some strength, to, to increase those connections between your brain and your booty to get the glutes firing. So squats, lunges, deadlifts, uh, bridges, hip extensions, like all those types of things, clamshells, bird dogs, like all of the things that are going to target your glutes. Not that you need to do them all every day, but get those in the rotation a couple times a week. Make sure you're, you're doing some, some exercises to get the glutes firing and to build some strength there because you can try to fire your glutes all you want, but if there's no actual strength there because you haven't worked it, then you know, you're not, you're not getting as much as you could. Uh, secondly, I think working on, um, activating your glutes before you go out for your run is a big deal, which is why I'm, I'm big into the lunge matrix, uh, doing some lunges and, and not only is there a little bit of strength component there, but the biggest reason I do those before I go for my runs every morning is that it, it wakes the glutes up. You know, it gets, it gets them moving. It forces them to fire by doing the different lunge movements that I do. So it's kind of like primes the pump, right? So then I go out and start running Well, my glutes are already, they're, they're awake. They're ready to go. All right. So they're, they're more likely to keep firing as I, as I go. Um, and, and you, know, you need to do the lunge matrix, but there's different different dynamic movements that could be incorporated into your warm up routine that are more likely to target the glutes. You know, some some rotations or some you know, just different things, some some hip hinges, like all those types of things that get the glutes going. Good idea, good idea to try to mix some of those into your pre run routine to make it more likely that your glutes are going to fire when you're out there running. Um, and last but not least, kind of some form things that you can start to do to try to, try to make it happen. Um, and, and, and this is, it's a little bit sketchy here because you can't like just, again, you can't just be like, oh, we're good. The glutes are going to fire now. Um, and it's a little bit hard to explain, but when you're running, if you can focus on trying to keep your, your foot, your back foot, like when you're pushing off on the ground, as long as possible, meaning that you're pushing off as far back as possible. Uh, when you do that, you're opening up your, 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 you're contracting your glutes to extend your hip out while that foot keeps pushing against the ground, which means that your glutes are going to fire more. You're going to drive from the glutes instead of if your if your foot comes off the ground right away and bends at the knee. Well, now your, your hamstrings are activated, but you're not, you're not using your glutes at all. So it, it's going to feel awkward and, and, and it's going to be awkward to try to do it itself, but try to just push as far back as possible. And you're not going to want to do that every step, but those are the types of things that like, you start to make some form changes. You start to really extend the hip back out. Um, you're going to get those glutes firing a little bit more. So try to think of pushing back as far as possible on each stride, at least at first as a thing to kind of start getting your glutes going, but it's, it's going to be a process. Um, but absolutely worth, worth it. Uh, because yeah, your glutes are your powerhouse. No, no doubt about it. And going back to your hip flexor question, it would make even more sense, Kenton, that your hip flexors are tight if your glutes are asleep because your glutes and your hip flexors are kind of like agonist antagonist, right? You one in the front, one in the back, hip flexors on the front, glutes on the back. And so if your glutes are sleepy and they're not firing, that means your hip flexors are probably 
a little bit tight on the front side. So strengthening your, your glutes, engaging your glutes, going to help to lengthen your hip flexors too. So, uh, you know, a little yin and yang for you, uh, based on your two questions, Kenton, but yeah, definitely some things to work on, open up the hip flexors, engaging the glutes. It'll make a difference. It'll make a difference. No doubt about it. So that is that pulling this one into Harbor, right about an hour 45. Not too bad. Not too bad. A little long winded, but that's, that's y'all's fault. Don't blame me being on long winded on this one on me. Get this many questions, especially Alan, just, I don't know, 15 times dipping or whatever it is. Uh, we got, we got, you know, that's what happens. You get that many questions, you get a long Q and a episode. So you're welcome. You're welcome is the moral of the story, but, uh, thank you guys for, uh, for all the questions today. What do you think? What did I get right? What did I get wrong? What do you disagree with? What made absolutely no sense? Let me know at Dizruns on Twitter at Dizruns on Instagram. Of course, you can also head over to the show notes for today. Dizruns.com slash nine, six, five. Uh, you can leave your thoughts and feedbacks there. We've got memes. We've got gifs. I guess an email address. I think, I don't think I said that Dizruns.com. Uh, sorry, uh, Dizruns at gmail.com. Um, YouTube, like whatever, wherever is the best place for you to leave your thoughts and feedbacks on this episode, leave them. I, I always love to hear them. Uh, you know, I can take a little ribbon. I can give a little bit back as well. Uh, but let me know what you thought about today's episode. And, uh, if you're new around these parts, once again, you want to, you want to get into the, get into the game, go for Alan's new record of most questions asked in a, in a single, uh, Q and a episode. I think he beat Mona, which is, that's high praise. Um, come join the Facebook group, disruns.com slash Facebook. Get yourself in the, in the party, in the group. Um, engage, have some fun, crack some jokes, share some memes. And when that uh, Q&A episode post goes out, put your comments there. And uh, we'll do this again next month and the next month and the next month. And uh, looking forward to whatever questions y'all can throw at me. But until then, y'all, please, please be well. Thanks again for listening. Uh, Hope this was a good one. And uh, until next time, y'all, see you.